Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. So this week, guys, I am going to be looking at the first episode of Hulu's adaptation of 1122-63. And just just to let you know, the the review itself, it's not going to be as super structured as my reviews of the the books and other adaptations have been um simply because i i just watched it late last night and i i wanted to get this review out before um before i i, I waited that much longer i kind of want to stay on top of this but uh before i get any further there's a there's a couple house uh, keeping things that i wanted to to, to talk about first so the, the first is, as you know, over the last, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I just started talking about it in, in the last uh, episode, which was a one of my, my top 10 lists. Um, I, I just want to put it out there that I have been fortunate enough to have written, and not written, but have some of my own short stories published, something that I is, is very, it's a, it's a very strange sensation for me. And I, I wanted to be able to, to share that with all of you. So if you have enjoyed my thoughts on, 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 on analyzing the works of Stephen King, and you want to see me take a crack at the horror genre itself, then I'm going to give you some options here. The first is you can head on over to Amazon, and all you need to do is type in Dark Moon Digest number 22. This is a uh, horror magazine, and it has been edited by Laurie Michelle and Max Booth III. You can download it on your Kindle, or you can read it the old-fashioned way and just place an order, and they'll send a copy of the magazine itself to to uh to your house apartment domicile anywhere where you may abode uh the story that is included within dark moon digest issue number 22 is a short story entitled room 207 Uh, another option for you is nine tales told in the dark uh published by bride of chaos magazine which is available now through amazon on your kindle so you can just click a button and automatically download it and start reading it the my short story that's included there there's nine stories in there um one of the nine stories is my own and it is called this world will eat you all the way up uh coming soon available march 2nd 2016 uh you can pre-order this now though is a an anthology entitled wax and wane a gathering of witch tales edited by david t neal from nose touch press uh and that my short story in in this particular collection um is a story the, these are all witch themed stories so it's a little witchy spooky tale entitled hopscotch and i think that you guys will really like that one and lastly, coming this August, keep your, your eyes open for a short story entitled Forget-Me-Not, found in the Trists of Fate publication, edited by L.A. Story, like I said, coming this August. So hopefully uh, in the upcoming weeks, I'll, I'll have more options for all of you. Uh, and as always, you can write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. Let me know what you think, but uh, show some love and some support to 
to uh, these publications uh, because I, I think that you'll like the, the stories within and certainly I want you to, to, to send your thoughts on the stories that I have written and put out there into the world. And while we're still on housekeeping, I wanted to read a couple, speaking of support as well, I wanted to read, start reading some iTunes reviews because I haven't done that in a while. And I mean, the, these mean a lot to me, guys, uh, because I mean, the, the, the words that are expressed on the, the iTunes reviews are, are just very, very complimentary and, and very, very kind. And I just kind of wanted to, to share them. So Monster Partier, who has a, that's a great, great screen name, uh, writes, Shows begin and end with pop song snippets that cleverly refer to the given topic, and sometimes it takes a few seconds to get it, which is fun. Host has a calming voice and often begins by reading Wikipedia synopsis verbatim, which you would think would be banal, but it works. Then he'll review the topic, and although more often than not my opinion differs, it's an engaging listen and draws both the constant and casual reader into the vast King universe. Um, so thank you, Monster Partier. I mean, and that's key here is because I, I don't write these reviews to to agree with everyone, and I, it's, I've been struck by the fact that so many of you have written and, and said that you don't necessarily agree Um but you, you see where I'm coming from. And that is, I think that that's important. I think that in this day and age, especially if two people disagree on something, it can get bloodthirsty. I mean, just look at the, just look at our, our political system right now, right? So I, I think that it's important for us to be able to, to be able to, to share our opinions um, with valid reasoning and logic and understand where the other one is coming from. So that's something that I, I always try and do. Up next, we have L. Washi. L. Walshy, uh, who writes, very entertaining. I found this podcast while searching for some podcasts for my all-time favorite writer, Stephen King. Also my all-time favorite book and horror movie, Stephen King's It. I share the same feelings as the host, and he is very thorough and makes listening easy. Always fun to hear what he has to say on each book and its subject matters. He also dives deeper into the books than most do. Um... And then uh, L. Walshy also asks to check out our newer podcast, Killer Flicks, all about the horror movie and horror-themed topics like Stephen King. Keep up the great work, Walshy. And up next we have, this is our 19th review. Uh, our, so that that's that's always important, and, and fans of the Stephen King cast will know that 19 is very important number. So Charles Bukaki writes, very insightful. I can tell a lot of time goes into putting this podcast together. I've read all of King's books at least twice, some as many as five or six times, and almost always while listening to these reviews will find something I missed or a connection I didn't make. Simply put, this guy knows his beep. Keep it up. Um, so thank you, Charles. Um, and I'll read one more. Jay Niley One writes, I am not a culture snob by any means. Actually, my only real literary passion is King. I enjoy other, but am strongly passionate about King's work, and in my profession, I do not have the opportunity to work side by side with anyone that broadens their horizons to paper. So I'm always greedy to make friends with people who even read King, let alone obsess over it. I love all the details and nuances King pours into his work. That being said, this podcast is like listening to a long-lost friend pour over King's work in detail every page of his books. It's refreshing, insightful, and absolutely perfect for my 40-minute commute to work. My complaint? Our podcast host should release more than once a week. I gobble up each new episode Monday in Phoenix traffic. Makes my Mondays less Monday-ish. Thank you, sir. Um... And, and, and so, Jane Eiley, uh, I know the importance of having that podcast, helping get you through the day and just being part of your, your, 
your routine just today. Um, one of my favorite podcasts uh, slash film cast released uh, a new episode, an episode that I've been I've been waiting for. So when I saw it pop up in my my iTunes feed, you know, I got this burst of joy. And so just I mean, just the idea that I am able to do that for others is it's a really good feeling. So everyone, thank you for your kind words uh, on iTunes. And everyone, if if you enjoy listening to the Stephen King cast and you haven't written a review on iTunes, uh, please head on over and any any review that that you give will really help um, put the, the the Stephen King cast out there into the world because as you know the the mission statement from the get-go was to just get people talking about Stephen King again and I'll be addressing this uh, at some point in in the next few months um, where the Stephen King cast is now uh, as opposed to to where it was when I started and and what pop culture is like and, and what how pop culture is talking about Stephen King as compared to how it was when I first started the, the Stephen King cast. All right, guys, uh, what we have next, I'm going to read a couple listener emails because these have been flying in lately, so I want to stay on top of that. So I apologize anyone that has written an email and I have not been able to, to uh, physically write back uh, to you. I, I apologize for that. Um, it, I mean, the, my... My excuse is it's a good excuse. I mean, a lot of emails have been coming in, and I think that it's important that you be able to share your Stephen King experiences or your or what you agree or disagree with with what I have said, and just for you to be able to share your opinions on things. That is one of the the, the reasons why I, I wanted to do this as well is to get um, this podcast to, to sort of be a hub for for others to be able to to share their their opinions and their thoughts and just get us talking about Stephen King. So I've had a lot of emails lately, and even though I haven't been able to physically type out responses back to you, um, please note that if you have sent me an email, um, if you have sent me an email, I, I definitely will be reading it on, on the air. All right, so Bryant writes, Congrats on finishing the chronological reread. I'm amazed by the speed with which you worked your way through all of those books. I'm averaging one or two per year which isn't even as many as King writes. Jesus. Very happy you decided to tackle 20th Century Ghosts, which is a phenomenal collection. The story 20th Century Ghosts hit me like a ton of bricks for any number of reasons, but not least because I worked in movie theaters for the past 20 years. Much of that time was spent as a projectionist back in the good old 35 millimeter days, so I have a relationship with that side of the industry that I really treasure. Never did see a ghost, though, much less a hot one who wanted to watch The Wizard of Oz. I think I might have been cool with it. Given how much you seem to respond to the cinephilia aspects of that story, I'd heartily recommend the novel Double Feature by Owen King. In fact, I think that'd be a great subject for a future episode. Owen is a terrific writer, too, and while his subject matter is very different from Joe's, they share a similar wit and worldview. The novel is about a guy whose dad is semi-famous B-movie actor, and it's as funny as hell. A little sloppy in places, but the pros way outweigh the cons. I think it might be cool for you to do an episode on Tabitha King at some point, too. I've only read two of her novels, Small World, which I thought was okay, and Caretakers, which I thought was great. I keep meaning to read more and keep managing not to do it. With your track record, though, I bet you could breeze through her bibliography in no time flat. An episode devoted to talking about each of them for a bit and then maybe giving your thoughts on what that opinion she and her husband had on each other's work might be useful. Other folks have done that, so you'd be 
Very few other folks have done that, so you'd be charting essentially new territory. One correction, the comic book sequels to The Cape were actually not written by Joe Hill, but his friend Jason Ciaramella, or Charamella. From what I can tell, Hill himself had no involvement apart from okaying the whole thing and reading it all at once. Uh, Charamella was done. Oh, sorry, reading it all at once. Hill himself had no involvement apart from okaying the whole thing and reading it uh, it all once Charmella was done. I'm basing that on a few th things that Hill has said in interviews, but I don't know for a fact one way or another. Uh, a few other things. I was glad to see that you enjoyed Dr. Sleep, which I liked a lot. I think that you made some great points about the function of the true knot within the story. As villains, they weren't all that great, but I don't think they were intended to be. I took that novel to be one about victory, not about defeat, specifically Dan's victory over alcoholism. If the knot had been any more effective, I think they would have overpowered that aspect of the story. I don't hate Mr. Mercedes the way you do, but yeah, it's kind of a mess, no doubt. I found all that stuff with Jerome to be so awkward that it made me want to crawl out of my skin. It's not the only time that's happened. King in comedic mode often has the same impact on me, and less said about the language quirks in Lisey's story, the better. I kind of don't mind that King's work hits me in that way sometimes, though. It keeps me feeling from feeling like a sycophant. Strange to want your favorite writer to write something you dislike every once in a while, but in my case, that's true. I enjoyed Finders Keepers more, although I was really annoyed when the kid's mother lives after getting shot in the head. Spoiler alert! Sorry, guys. <laughs> Rarely have I felt like King was pulling his punches in an artificial manner, but that's how I felt on that plot point. It didn't kill the novel for me, but it seemed false and King's work really seems false to me. Looking forward to the end of Watch, but I'm kind of glad for that trilogy to reach its conclusion, for King to get back to, well, something else. I wish the novel was still entitled, was still titled The Suicide Prince. That's a great title, whereas End of Watch is thoroughly generic. And I agree on that. Suicide Prince, I didn't know that it was going to be titled that. That's, that's, that's distinct. Um, end of Watch, wasn't that just a movie that came out like two years ago with Jake Gyllenhaal? Anyway, uh, he continues, Final note, I wanted to mention something that struck me about the Bazaar of Bad Dreams. I liked the collection a lot, too, and I thought it was interesting that the final two stories were Drunken Fireworks and Summer Thunder. The former is a comedy about a fireworks arm race gone awry. The latter is an end-of-humanity tragedy that is, in its own way, also about an arms race gone awry. In both cases, you have to wonder why the people who perpetuated the incidents did what they did, or perpetrated the incidents did what they did. I found that putting the two side stories side by side that way deepened them both significantly, loved them both. And that's a really great observation that I, I did not even catch that. That's awesome. Looking forward to the Creepshow podcast. For the love of all that is holy, I hope you won't somehow make the mistake of watching Creepshow 3. King and Romero had no involvement whatsoever, and that's easily one of the worst movies I've ever seen, ever. I dig the first two, though, even the second one, which is clearly inferior, but has its own charms. Bryant. So, Bryant, yeah, don't worry. I'm not going near uh, Creepshow 3. Um, and so just some of the, the talking points that, that you referenced during your, your email... Uh, when it comes to, to reading Owen King, uh, other people have written in and, you know, said that I probably should read Owen. And, and you know what? I, I really probably should. Um, I've had friends recommend him as well. Um, I've just never got around to it, which is an awful excuse. It really is. And same thing with Tabitha. Uh, I, I've only read things by by 
Stephen King, clearly, and Joe Hill. And does anybody know what Naomi does? Uh, because it seems that everybody else in the family is a writer, uh, but I, I I haven't touched anything on the other kings, and I I can't say whether or not I'm, I'm going to ever touch any of the works by Owen or Tabitha, although it is an interesting idea to read something that Tabitha has written and then do a comparison between her points of view and King's points of view and, and, and analyze how a relationship can between two people over a course of decades can, can really help influence the other. I think that is a, a, a very um, challenging, I think that's a very, very challenging endeavor and I think that something like that is I would need to really – I mean if I were to do something like that, you would not be getting – I mean that, that wouldn't take a week. You know, I mean like usually these things I'm able to, to read a book, get a review out within the week. But with something like that, I mean that's, that's, that's like – that's thesis dissertation level of analysis there that I, I personally don't have the, the time – to, to devote. Although, if someone else wanted to, that I I would love to, to have their thoughts on on the air. So feel free to, to write in. And Brian, thank you for for the correction about the cape um, not being written by by Joe Hill. I completely forgot about that. Um, although I do recommend the, the the cape sequel to the short story. It is a lot of fun. Although I didn't read the the Vietnam quote unquote prequel to it. Um, and I, like I said, I, I think that that's a great, uh, great mention about the drunken fireworks and the summer thunder, um, connection there, the, the thematic connection of the two. Um, thank you for, for definitely writing in. All right. Up next, we have Kyle, Kyle from England and Kyle writes, hello, constant reader. If you end up reading this email, it may be a while before I actually hear it as I'm listening to your shows in quite a chock-a-block fashion. Regardless, I have to say thank you for doing this podcast. I've always been obsessed with Stephen King's work, and as a cinephile, myself, the majority of my childhood horror consisted of adaptations of King before I branched out to the slashes of the 80s and so on. Every time I subscribe to a new streaming service like Netflix or Amazon Prime, my first search is always the same, Stephen King. I definitely find that for the most part, regardless of who is adapting the story, they all share that King feeling. I read my first King book back in 2012 when I was on holiday in Florida. My dad gave me a copy of 112263. Very appropriate. Very appropriate for me to read this email right now. Dad gave me a copy of 112263 on my Kindle and told me, this is what Stephen King used to be like for me when I was your age. It's that good. And I loved it. I didn't read another King book again, however, until this past year. I just finished listening to the audiobook of The Martian in preparation for the movie. Great read, by the way, but I'd recommend the audiobook by far. And I found myself lost once I had finished it. I was trying to find a new book to listen to for my upcoming 30-hour drive to a fairly empty island in Scotland and happened upon it. I devoured that book, and again, I was at a loss. So I looked up Stephen King on my podcast app and found you. I must say the worst thing about your podcast of it was hearing the excitement in your voice when talking about Kerry Fukunaga's adaptation, knowing myself that it wasn't meant to be. Your excitement was definitely shared with me, and it's such a shame that we'll never see it. Since finishing it, I've been following the suggested reading order from The Dark Tower, which I will um, link below, and he sent me a link. And so I've been listening to some of the podcasts you do for each of them. 
Although I've been avoiding the Dark Tower episodes so as to stay far away from any spoilers, I'm currently listening to Rose Matter, which I am not enjoying, and I've started to read Desperation alongside just to ease my pain. I noticed that you haven't covered the Desperation TV movie. Is there any reason for this? Or will I have to wait to find out when I listen to your podcast? I have to know. Um, the only reason was I started checking it out, and it was pretty bad. And I just didn't want to devote the time to watching it and writing a review for it. Because at that point, when I had read The Desperation, I was hitting a... Or rereading Desperation. Uh, I was hitting a groove in my rereading during the summer where I was just destroying the the Stephen King books in my path just going one after the other after the other I was just devouring them in in less than a week's time and I was able to make a lot of headway um, and it was because of the the rhythm that I had established during the summer I was able to to be able to finish the chronological chronological reread as quickly as as I did um, and in order for me to have reviewed the Desperation TV movie, that meant I would have to give up reading time. And for me, the summer, it was more important for me to get in reading time than it was for me to get in watching time for some pretty bad uh, <laughs> some pretty bad TV movies. So that isn't to say that I won't in the future. I don't know. I can't say one way or another. All I know is that what I did see was pretty awful. Also, I know you aren't done with the podcast, as you say you still have things you wish to cover, but have you also thought about covering the Nightmares and Dreamscapes anthology show? I found it to be really enjoyable and would be a good companion piece alongside their short stories. Also, on a side note, nearly done, I promise, I have to ask, what is that grinding sound I hear in most of your shows? It sounds like somebody is doing metalwork next door to you, and it's always bugging me trying to figure out what it is. Not complaining, it's just curiosity niggling at me again. Uh, all the best, your constant listener, Kyle. Kyle, the grinding sound very... <laughs> so I have done laundry in the background. I have a mini refrigerator right behind me, which kicks on sometimes. Um, so you, it could be either one of those two things that you, that, that you hear. Um, it's been a pretty mild winter so far. So the air, um, when it kicks it, it really hasn't kicked in on, on many of the episodes that I've recorded lately. Although in the, the summer when I have been recording down here, um, when, you know, the, the air, I, I live for the AC in the summer. So when the, the central air kicks in, um, you, you might be able to hear that. But I, I honestly would, would guess that the grinding sound that you hear, it sounds like metalwork uh, is the breathing of my two pugs um, who love to keep me company as I record these episodes. Um, as I was reading your email, uh, my my female pug who is lying at my feet right now was definitely making some noise. So if that's the grinding noise that you hear, um, it's my two co-hosts who are making their presence known as they like to do. Okay, guys, now what I'm going to do, I'm going to get into some thoughts about 11.22.63. So, specifically, 11.22.63, the, the first episode entitled The Rabbit Hole. So, for those of you who have been listening over the last month or two, um, I, I have been very, very eager for 
this project. The, the, the trailers I have found to be top-notch. They do everything that they're supposed to do. They're supposed to hook you in. It's been billed as a 10-episode event brought to you by J.J. Abrams and Stephen King. And as you know, J.J. Abrams, I would say, is having a great year. This is, if you are listening to this in the future, uh, if you're listening to this in 2018, 2019, 2020, uh, that's a strange thought. But uh, this is the year that that J.J. came out with um, Star Wars The Force Awakens. So I, I have no doubt that when Hulu began releasing the, the, the teasers and the trailers, you know, they, they plastered the the name J.J. Abrams all over it to help draw in a lot of people who, you know, who were all worked up in a good way because of because of the, the good the good associations with uh, the, the Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, however, I mean, the, the truth is, is that, that J.J., you know, he's an executive producer, but the, the person that's really running the show is a woman by the name of Bridget Carpenter, um, who, to me, I'm excited about her being involved with this is, is because she had worked on Friday Night Lights, which is such a good show guys i don't know if you have watched friday night lights but if you like 11 63 for all of the jody scenes and what makes the the novel as you know if you've listened to my review of the novel what makes the the novel what it is 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 how jake finds himself as george in jody um and it it's the heart of the story it's where he falls in love with sadie and the town and the kids and and everything so that is such a huge part of it and that is friday night lights so if you want that kind of story told over a series of seasons i think there were six seasons then uh, then Friday Night Lights is for you. So the fact that one of the, the the visionaries from Friday Night Lights is is working on this, I think that's the sensibilities that that she had um, and has uh, is, is going to work wonders once Jake is able to get to to Jody, which he hasn't been able to do yet in in, in, in the show itself. but I'm excited to see where where the show goes uh from here but i'm kind of getting ahead of myself i was talking about jj abrams and and now i'm talking about bridget carpenter but anyway they were billing jj abrams and in the weeks leading up to to president's day 2016 i was getting very very excited for 11 63 like i said i thought the trailers were phenomenal but i do know this even though jj abrams is not the day-to-day um creative force behind this project you know he, he does have a, a finger in it and that finger could just be a light touch um it could just be basically a, a touch that's there to to uh to affirm viewers about a, a certain style of storytelling right it's really it's a it's a touch for association purposes more than anything else that i would say um and one thing that we know about J.J. Abrams is the man can make an incredible trailer to the point where you might argue that the trailers for his projects are better than the projects themselves. All right. Um, there is no denying that the trailers for the Star Wars The Force Awakens, I don't know why I keep saying the Star Wars, uh, but the trailers for Star Wars The Force Awakens 
they were incredible emotional beats that if it weren't for those trailers i i mean i i don't think that the the star wars phenomenon would have have been what it was this past year uh think about the, the trailer for for cloverfield and i know that again he he wasn't the director of cloverfield but he was a creative presence on there matt reeves was the was the director but the trailer for cloverfield hit um it 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 really caused people to to really, you know, start thinking about Cloverfield. Um, his name is all over 10 Cloverfield Lane at the moment, even though, again, he didn't direct it. His role in that movie is very similar to his role here on 11-22-63. Um, Dan Trachtenberg is the director of 10 Cloverfield Lane, but everybody's talking about it because I do believe that when it comes to the, the bad robot studio, or the bad robot production company, um, I, I believe that they are able to to package the uh, that sort of mystery box that 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 he he believes in. Super Eight is a is a movie that he did direct. Again, the trailers for that movie were phenomenal. So he's able to cut an incredible trailer. Whether it's him, whether it's people that that work in his his production company, whatever. It's it's the JJ sensibility really. Um, so those trailers got me very, very hyped for the show. And so I sat down to watch the show and I went into it very, very excited, but also I've been burned by Stephen King adaptations time and time again. And I, I knew not to get my hopes up too high because I, I knew right off the bat that J.J. was not the director behind it um, because I, I knew that I had some reservations about James Franco and I also knew that, you know, I mean, it, it would take a handful of episodes to really start to determine what kind of show this was going to be. So I'm going to cut to the chase right here. I didn't like the first episode. I didn't, I didn't like it. I have some issues with it, but I'm not entirely giving up on it. Uh and I, I am still excited to see where it goes from here. There's definitely some good in the show. There's definitely some bad in the show. And there's a lot of eh. Um, I would say that there's a lot of room for potential within the show as well. Uh, so I, I'm just going to give some running thoughts here. I, I do like how it begins. I will say that with just a close-up on Harry the janitor. Um, because if you have listen to, to my review of the novel, you'll know that Harry's involvement in the story is to create that personal touch that Jake needs to go back into the past um, and really commit himself to Al's mission of, of saving JFK. So by putting Harry first and foremost in, in, the, in the front and center, it's, it's reinforcing that, that idea. Um, and then I would also say that I, I imagine that by putting Harry up there and having Harry give his story, it allows for flashbacks to that Halloween night, uh, which are horrific. And I, I, I think I think that one of the decisions why they did that was to um, 
don't know, I think that a lot of people tuned in also because the name Stephen King is attached to it. So you kind of get that horror element right up front. And this is not a, a horror story. So Stephen King and horror go hand in hand, right? It's like milk and cookies. So if this is a Stephen King uh, story, then you got to have some horror to it, right? So I imagine that that's one of the reasons why, why they did that. Um, and... So let, let me let me talk about. I, I guess I'll, I'll just get straight to, to James Franco. Uh, I think the first thing is when talking about James Franco, we probably should talk about <laughs> James Franco's goatee, uh, which is w the co-star of of this 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 story. I don't think it's necessary to slap a a goatee on the guy simply to to show his transformation once he goes into the past. That to me, it just looks like set dressing it it doesn't look real to me that that beard is one of the the fakest looking beards and maybe he really grew it i don't know but to me it just didn't fit his face it didn't fit the character uh and what about the character of jake here i uh, i mean he one thing that we have to acknowledge is that this is not the same character from the book and that's not a criticism a lot of people aren't gonna like james franco's role in this because he's not playing jake the way that Jake was in the book. And I'm fine with that because I've read some reviews that Franco comes off as either flippant or sarcastic. Um, I don't disagree with that, but I'm not critiquing it. I mean, in the book, I mean, one thing that we have to acknowledge about Jake is that this is a character that is thoroughly earnest, you know, and Jake movie jake adaptation jake he's he's not he's not earnest um he is doubtful he is a little sarcastic um and like i said i'm i'm fine with that and i don't mind what franco's doing with it you know when he goes into the past he when he first goes there he it's almost like he's he considers it like he's playing a game even though al has died there's still this this disbelief and this this non-reality aspect um, to it uh, that that I like. You know, when when he goes in and he starts making bets, uh, he just has this look on his face. It's it's a little bit of smarm, but it's also a little bit of like like I said, it's he he can't get over the fact that he's in the past. It's a little bit gleeful. It's a little bit like I this is not happening, and he's not treating it as seriously as 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 the the book jake did which is fine which is fine i, can, I just want to keep saying that just because it's not the book doesn't mean that it's wrong for for how they start to do so the fact that he's he's playing it like a game it makes the danger that occurs that much more well, well dangerous um when it starts to present itself so for instance i mean just just look at that scene that i referenced where he is he's placing the bets you know, that scene is done very, very well. Um, there's a growing menace there that, that starts to build. It's undeniable. And and the moment he starts to understand that, that there's consequences for being in the past, and when he wins that bet, there is a sense that something very bad is going to happen. And because this is not playing out the exact way that these events played out in the, the book, I... I was really into that scene. And as you know, guys, I am a proponent of making changes to an adaptation for a number of reasons. One, I believe that you have to take a story and make it work for whatever medium you are adapting it into. So a book, 
plays out differently than a movie does. So retelling a story scene by scene the exact way as a movie, as it was done in a book, is not going to work. It's just not going to work. Um, so they're already making changes, and I'm into it. Secondly, for someone that has experienced the book, watching it play out differently in an audiovisual format, it, it allows me to be a new participant in this story where I'm I'm taken aback at, at some of the things. I'm surprised. Things that are occurring are unexpected to me, and that's that's always a good thing. So anyway, I, I like that scene. I think that that's good. You know, the, the, the shady barhound follows him. I don't know what's going to come of this. Um, and all of that partially is because of how James Franco has played this role. Um, when it when he first began, there, there's parts where I my immediate and initial concerns that I had had when I when I had heard that Franco was cast reared their head. When he is in the classroom and Harry is is giving his scene, that um, that that slight flippance and sarcasm that is in him, I I. I I think that this is an example where the earnestness of Jake it actually is kind of important, and I think that um, maybe it's going to take time for for Franco to find a balance between the two. But I I found his his relationship with Harry, especially in that introductory scene, to be a lot more patronizing than it was sincere, and that to me is a problem. In fact, every scene that we have seen with Jake in the classroom has presented itself to be a problem, and I'm going to need more episodes in order for me to determine exactly what they're doing with Jake in the classroom, because in the book, um, I, uh, may, maybe I'm, I'm misremembering it, um, but had Jake given up on his students in the classroom in the present? That's my that's my question. All of you guys, answer me because I I quite I don't remember because what it seems to me here is that Jake is just going through the motions in all aspects of his life. Um, so I mean, there's a scene that takes place in Jake's present where he you know he's he's showing a movie to the class. Um, he looks more like a substitute teacher than an actual teacher. Um, he just, I, I don't know if the intent of that scene is to show the apathy of students today that will be juxtaposed against, um, the, the liveliness of the students once he goes to Jody in, in 1960, um, or whether or not the point of this scene was to just show how apathetic he is as an educator, uh, because he, he just seems like a pretty bad teacher in that scene and that would make sense if that's the case because that that's the whole reason why al picks him for the the mission in the first place right because he sees that this is a guy that has nothing to live for his dad is dead his wife has divorced him and he even calls him out on not not contributing anything to the world and he hasn't done anything with his life so he's placing this mission in jake's hands in the hopes that he will do something great in life, um, which I, again, I am fine with. And in fact, that actually makes for more of a character arc for the character than I would say Jake in the book did. So I, I, I can't really talk about Franco that much here because I need to see what Franco does later on in the other episodes because... 
there's a, a, a glimpse of what he could be here. Um, I, and I just don't think that I, I can't base I can't base it off of one particular episode because I don't have the whole picture what he is doing with the character, what the showrunners are doing with the character, what the screenwriters have done for the character here. Um, this is just one tenth of an overall story um, of this particular character's arc that's going to take place over these ten episodes. So I will say this. I like when a an actor fills the role of a Stephen King main character, uh, an actor that that has some quirks or some definitive traits. John Cusack in 1408. I don't like that movie, but I was very happy that Cusack was in it because he's the kind of guy that can fill out a role. Christopher Walken as Johnny Smith in The Dead Zone is incredible casting because it's Christopher Walken and he's able to do so much um, for a, a character that could that is so much the everyman can be very bland at times so the more you're able to get a character that that has a distinct personality that's important and the thing with franco is i his projects can be very hit or miss but i do like the fact that this is a guy that never stops trying he never stops engaging with the creative process uh, you know, I mean, just the, the fact he was on a, a soap opera for no reason for a couple of years. That to me, it's 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 like he's living his life um, as performance art, you know, and he doesn't he doesn't highly publicize it. He lets it speak for himself, speak for itself. Um, but I appreciate that about the guy. So he wasn't originally who I would have ever picked for for Jake, but that doesn't mean I'm going to give up on him because he has been cast for Jake because he does have moments that I want to see more of. I really like uh, when he's first told about the rabbit hole and him just complaining. There's a lot of complaining coming from him, which I'm fine with because it's not meant to be serious. I like his reluctance at first in the mission. I like him just complaining about the spiders and complaining about walking in the dark. I mean, that is something that I like. And he's, when that happens, the, the scene starts to crackle because it's James Franco being able to be funny. And as we all know, the man has incredible comedic timing. He is a very good comic actor. So I'm hoping that the sincerity of this story and the, the, the hefty weight of the story itself, um, you know, with, with, uh, with it having to be about the, the, um, uh, I'm sorry, I just got a phone call, but the, 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 the assassination of JFK. I hope that that doesn't overshadow what James Franco is able to bring to the role, um, which is humor. Like, he'll be able to bring a lot of humor and little ticks that I'm looking forward to. Um, so there, there's scenes where, I like I said, I don't think that he's very convincing in his sincerity with Harry. I think that it's, it's a little bit more condescending. Um... But then again, when he meets Sadie, it gets me very excited for the, the Sadie episodes once we really start to meet her because he comes alive in that moment as he needs to. I mean, I, I'll hold off on talking about chemistry because I need to see them. Uh, I'll need to see more of them together. But it was so I guess I'll talk about Sadie now for a little bit because I was actually shocked that I had the opportunity to talk about Sadie so early on in the story uh, because this is one of the changes that they have made from the 
um, from the source material. Uh, Sadie in the books, uh, he first meets her when he's at when he makes it to Jody. Here, however, he meets Sadie when he first goes to Dallas, and that's another departure from the book. He immediately seeks out Dallas, uh, and I, I I think that that's specifically to just keep the immediacy of why he's there. The novel is is a lot more ponderous and just. There's a lot of soul searching and and just him living life, which I'm fine with. It works in a book. So, in in the movie, I'm gonna keep calling it a movie, but the the television show, uh, the Hulu event, it uh, it needs to constantly remind the viewer that he's in the past for a specific purpose. So I understand why he immediately sets out for for Dallas. Um, it 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 can't. In, in the in the day and age that we're living with with, with television you you need to keep a, a level of suspense higher uh, than than the book would allow I, I just don't see Jake heading down to Florida just so he can write for a while or heading to um, you know a, a particular location in the woods to stop this one girl from getting shot by her father like there, there's just stuff that I, I don't think that was in the book that could translate well, so I completely understand why they put the Dallas um, to the forefront of of the of the story for the the adaptation. But what was interesting is that when he does head to Dallas, he immediately meets Sadie, and there's a couple things that we can take from this that I really like. One, I think that it's very purposeful and very uh, very tragic that he meets Sadie in the shadow of the book depository. I mean, that is very, very purposeful to me. And this is almost like time's way of giving him the middle finger and just really toying with him. Uh, Because time, I really like how time is being presented here. The past really is an aggressive, intangible entity. It, It really is playing out like Final Destination, the way that death does in Final Destination. And it works very, very well in the audiovisual format. Um, so I like the idea of it being the, the real great bad guy here who is able to look at Jake and say, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do for you, buddy. I'm going to introduce you to the love of your life. And I'm going to place her right here. You're going to meet here. You're going to meet her right here, you know, so close to the spot where she is going to die. And you are going to have a choice, my friend. And you're going to live this life with her and you're going to have to give it all away. So here you go. Here you go, Jake. Here's Sadie. I hope you fall in love. I I love that decision that that they, they made to introduce us to Sadie so early on. Um, it's going to kind of play with the, the destiny aspect of it when he does go to Jody, I suppose, and there she is. Um, so it's, it's going to kind of take that normalcy out of the story where he had been in Jody and he falls in love with this woman. Now it's now we're starting to get to, to talk about fate. We get to talk about Ka. And like I, I said, this to me seems like a manipulation from time itself. Time with a capital T, the personification of this of this this concept um, that that seems to be very, very vindictive. So. Everything that I saw from the actress who's playing Sadie so far, I I think that she she's great. Um, I'm very very happy with her. I'm very happy with how she and James Franco interact with each other. And you know you can tell right away from his 
his portrayal um, is that he's he's all smiles, big smiles. Um, he is you can tell right away that he is he is struck with her. So I'm very excited to to see what the two of them have in store when they when they work together. You know, because as you know, it is important for that story to work. That's the heart of it. That is definitely the heart of of eleven twenty two sixty three. It is um, it's really what the story is about. It's the love story. Uh, so you know, um, I, I guess that that's that's the biggest thing here. Um, you know, I like I've already touched upon. They need to keep the Dallas stuff front you know, right at, at the forefront, um, which means that, um, which means that we're getting scenes that we did not see in, in the story, especially this early on. Um, you know, we, we have Jake sneaking into JFK's campaign party. We see him running from the cops. He's being attacked by cockroaches. Um, all of this stuff is, is posited here in the beginning, or sorry, sorry, positioned here in the beginning, simply because we need tension, we need conflict, we need the story to keep zipping along, and we can't have that ponderous nature of the novel. One major <coughs> complaint that I have is, okay, this this story was designed specifically for Hulu. I I I, I don't get why it's designed for a platform that doesn't have commercial breaks uh, i mean the, the story is is put together with commercial breaks for something that doesn't have any commercials i don't get that i don't get that at all um so if anyone has an idea as to why that's the case please let me know because i was really taken out of it um the last thing i want to say is i want to talk about the setting someone needs to win an award because the the set dressing uh the 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 costumes that everyone's in just the this when he goes into 1960 it is such a good moment i mean it's like he is stepping into an alien landscape um it's awesome does a great job with it i don't know who did it but i uh, i mean the 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 story is going to be made or break made made or broken um, by how well the past uh, comes alive and the past comes to life. This you can tell that a lot of money was spent in making these these scenes look legit, not even legit, but that stylized sense of what the 1960s were, and it definitely it definitely works. Um, the colors just pop. It's just it's a good looking show. That's one thing that you any any criticisms that there are about the show. It's that you, you can't say that it doesn't look good. The show looks really really good. It's a beautiful looking show. The, the settings are great. Lisbon in the present looks exactly like I had pictured it uh, in my head, and everything about 1960 is is great i mean it's important to show jake fall in love with 1960 even though there's a lot of tragedy that that's happening um and the bridget carpenter and the writers and everyone working on the show is doing a great job at, at making us understand why why we uh why we like 1960 even though there's going to be a lot of darkness um presented there which started to be presented in this one as well um and then the the episode uh, ends with Jake making a decision. He's gonna set out uh, to Kentucky to to help out Harry. And while I'm on the subject of that, 
you know, I gotta say, um, though I didn't expect to see Bev or or Richie from it, I I'm a little disappointed that it's taking place in Kentucky and not Derry. I mean, at this point, I mean, just give us give us as much of a shared Stephen King cinematic universe as we possibly can. All right, like I don't think that it would hurt to have it in Derry. I wonder if there is a um. I wonder if it's a rights issue. I don't know. Maybe if uh, New Line Cinema has, you know, owns the rights to Dairy, um, so they can't use Dairy. Maybe that's it. I'm not sure. But uh, I would have loved for it to have taken place. You know, the one, the the, the episode that's going to happen next. I would love for it to have taken place in. In Derry, Maine, which doesn't mean that there aren't Easter eggs. There is definitely an Easter egg. Castle Rock is mentioned, which was fun for everyone, I'm sure. Um, H.P. Lovecraft is scrawled on a chalkboard, and that's definitely a shout-out to one of Stephen King's major uh, literary influences when he was when he was a kid. And I don't know. I mean, I didn't see a Plymouth Fury, uh, but if anyone did, please let me know because I would not be surprised if there was a Plymouth Fury driving around there somewhere. So guys, all in all, um, I, I, uh, I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was terrible. I thought it was very middle of the road. Um, there's a lot of potential for where it could go. Um, I'm holding out major, I'm holding out just putting a definitive stamp on whether or not Franco is doing a good job because I need to see his arc progress before I, I actually come down on him one way or another but i think there's a lot of potential with the way that he's portraying his character and i just think that there's something very very likable about franco um so i'll I'll hold out i'll hold out hope i'm looking forward to seeing jake when he gets to jody and seeing him really come alive there i mean that that to me is going to make or break um whether or not the show is effective um because that's where the stakes really start to get raised because we see him fully buy into life this is where he he realizes what life is because right now he's going through the motions but he he embraces life once he gets to jody so i'm hoping i'm hoping that that works okay um so that is all that i have for this week guys um i'm gonna be wrapping up now but uh make sure that you, you stick around um uh, because there will be another episode of 112263 coming out next Monday. So hopefully sometime next week I'll be able to give my thoughts on the second episode. And I don't know the frequency with which I will be able to, to, to stay on top of of this 10-episode this miniseries. It's coming out they decided to launch it at a time in my life that's going to get pretty hectic pretty quickly so i don't know i don't know how i'm going to stay on top of it um i wanted to get this particular episode out as quickly as possible um but if it comes out every monday i don't know if you'll be getting my thoughts on that episode by the end of the week but we'll find out we'll we'll definitely find out uh and if the if the episodes just kind of start to really suck, I might just give up on the show. But we'll we'll find out together, and I'll keep you all updated. Uh, but guys, if you haven't done so already, feel free to to write into Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review, and check out my the short stories that I, I've 
been fortunate enough to, to have published in the magazines that I listed at, at top of the episode, Dark Moon Digest, Nine Tales Told in the Dark, Wax and Wayne Anthology, A Gathering of Witch Tales, and Trysts of Fate. I think that you'll enjoy the short stories that, that I have written, um, and hopefully in the next few weeks or few months, I'll, I'll be able to, to fill you in on some other short stories that have been published. So, Everyone, thank you for all the support um, in all aspects of, of the Stephen King cast. Um, and I will see you here next week where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast. Thank you.